well. This is easy. <laughs> I knew it would be a tough act to follow. I didn't know I would be the tough act to follow. That's, uh, <laughs> I fully anticipate being able to bring that home, right? So I can wake my children up on Tuesday with that? Yeah, that'd be great. Good morning! <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, <laughs> so um, I know what you're all thinking. Don't bring the mood down, Pat. It's been a fun night. You can chill out for five seconds, right? Uh, so here's what's funny. Um, <laughs> on maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that, right? So I like, I plan for things like this. Believe it or not, I plan ahead. And I pray, and I plan, and I pray some more. And on Tuesday, Wednesday, sometime in there, I was looking over the whole scope of the weekend and what the Holy Spirit wanted to do this weekend. And initially, what I had planned was this morning's talk happening right now. And I looked at that and I said, mm, <laughs> we're just going to whoop. <laughs> so I think the Holy Spirit has led us to a good place is what I'm trying to say. Um, when I was a freshman at uh, Notre Dame, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, um, I... Um, uh, <laughs> no, when, only when I moved here did somebody finally tell me the joke. Uh, in a room full of people like this, how do you know which one went to Notre Dame? He'll tell you, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I wish I didn't resemble that remark quite so much, but here we are. Um, so I, I left high school and I really wanted to be a doctor. And I was great at science in high school and I loved science in high school. My dad was a doctor, I was inspired by medicine and I wanted to be a great doctor and serve people. And then I got to college and I immediately was terrible at science. I don't know what happened in those three months between high school and college, but I was embarrassing myself in biology and chemistry classes. And worse than that, I hated every last second of it. Which made me think around fall break freshman year, maybe not my actual calling, it turns out. I don't know if God is going to call me to something that I hate and I'm bad at, right? Especially, I mean, it's not like the stakes are really high in medicine even, but still, even with that, I didn't want to really affect the world in a negative way, right? So I uh, made the really fun phone call late uh, first semester of freshman year to my beloved mother and father. And I said to them, mom, dad, people who have supported me, loved me, paid, me paid, paid for so many things, including a lot of this school, I no longer want to be a physician. I want to switch to be a sociology major. And my mom said, what in the world are you doing with your life? In a much gentler way, not much, in a slightly gentler way than that. And then I threw in later on, and I think I want to study theology too. And they're just watching the potential salary drop and drop and drop and drop and drop, right? Um, it was hard for them to get on board initially. They have since gotten very much on board. They're very supportive. My parents are great, but that was a weird transition. Um, but you know as well as I do, how many of you changed your major at any point in college, okay? The stats are like 70, 80% people probably changed their major once, right? Um, you know as well as I do that when I switched from biology to theology, it would have made a hilarious lack of sense for me to continue my course of study the way I was going, right? All those like organic chemistry classes and all the like difficult biology classes down the road, like those would have been hysterically stupid for me to continue taking, right? Because the end had shifted. My end goal was different, and I had to plan today with the end in mind, right? 
Um, I had to begin with the end in mind. You and I work that out every single day of our lives. If you have a goal at work, at home, in your own personal life, you know that you have to see clearly what your goal is in order to move in the correct direction. And to know when you do get off direction, to identify that and to recalibrate, re-engage, and to head in the right direction again, right? We have to begin with the end in mind. Um, tonight, uh, I want us to be able to hear from good old Clive Staples about the end that we're heading toward. Um, if you and I are going to lead lives that are defined by purpose and joy and faith, that are defined by hope and peace and virtue, then we have to know that we have to have our eyes on the prize, literally. We have to see where we're headed in order to live lives like that, right? Um, and we see that just in day-to-day -day examples all, all the time, right? If you expect your evening to culminate in a romantic date, you're going to spend time before that much differently than if you expect your evening to culminate in two hours cleaning the garage, right? You're not going to get ready and shower and put on perfume and nice clothes to go clean the garage. You're going to plan differently depending on where you're going. As uh, Peter Kraft, a great uh, Boston College philosopher, put it once, the road to the state capitol looks a lot nicer than the road to the landfill. We take care of the thing that is on the way to a valuable place. So if our end goal is something valuable, the journey is going to look really valuable in the process as well, really important for us. I think about it a lot of times just in the process of, of uh, getting married and then after we got married. Um, when I was preparing to get married, what that meant was I had never been married and I had no idea what marriage was about. I had good examples, good role models, my parents included, but all of us go in blind to a certain level knowing what marriage is supposed to be. My goal at a certain level was to get married. And I found a great girl, and she was the best, and so I wanted to impress her. So I put on every facade of awesomeness that I could muster for a certain amount of time. And then you date someone a little longer, and you find out that you can't fake it all that long. So I had to start being real, right? And that was a hard process for me. And then I got married, and the goal is different now. My goal today is not to get married. I checked that one off. Now, I had to shift the, the, the trajectory to the goal of having a great marriage. My goal can't just be to stay married. That is, that is uh, an, an inadequate goal for the kind of life that I want for me, and more importantly, the kind of life I want for my bride and my kids. My goal now has to be to have a great marriage. So my approach day to day has to be different now than it was when I was preparing for marriage. I have to be more intentional, more sacrificial, more loving than I was when we were engaged because my end has now shifted. It's a better end now than I know what I'm about. That leads us to one of my favorite Christian virtues. It's the virtue of hope. Um, I thought I was really smart a while ago because I was preparing to give a talk at uh, a retreat thing out of state. And one of the nights was on hope. And I thought to myself, what's a good definition of hope in a way that I can understand that people can really grasp? And I came up with this phrase. I thought to myself, hope means that you and I have been made a promise by the one who always, always keeps his promises. And I looked in the mirror and I said, that's really good. You're really smart, Pat. That is, whew, sometimes you've got it and you've got it today, man. <laughs> and then a couple days later, I opened up my little Bible, 
And I opened up to the letter to the Hebrews. And I flipped over to chapter 10. And I read myself a cute little verse, verse 23, that says, Let us hold unwaveringly to our confession that gives us hope. For he who made the promise is trustworthy. And I thought to myself, I am not smart, actually. I am just plagiarizing the Holy Spirit. <laughs> uh, which is another way of saying, if I am ever smart, it's because the Holy Spirit is in me, just like he was in the Bible, right? So when you and I do good things, it's not that we do it on our own account, it's that God works through us. Thanks be to God. We know the one who makes the promise, right? We've talked about the one who makes the promise all weekend. God willing, you've met him before. And we know that he always, always keeps his promises. And if we know scripture, we know the promise even, right? In my father's house, there are many rooms, right? That's the promise. Um, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. That's the promise. doesn't mean we won't die physically. It means we won't die eternally, right? But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise. It's going to um, bring us to our passage from C.S. Lewis in a moment here. When I was a youth minister years ago, there was a day that I was uh, working in my office with my other co-youth minister. And there was a junior in high school, a girl uh, named Ashley, phenomenal girl, great family, great faith, who came into our office just to hang out after school. And she was like, just talking about nonsense and normal high school stuff. She was helping us out with some things. She was like, I think, coloring or like designing like a sign-up poster board on the floor, sitting on the floor, right? And I was facing away from her, working on my desk, just talking to her kind of behind my back. And I don't know how we got on this topic at all, but I just threw out the question. We got on the topic of heaven for some reason. Don't know why, don't know how. And I asked her, hey, um, what do you think heaven is like? And there was no answer. And I was worried that she had gone to the bathroom, and I was talking to no one. Uh, so I turned around to see if she was there, and she was sitting right there on the floor, still, where I had left her when I turned around. And she was crying. And I was thinking to myself, oh, dear God, what have I done? <laughs> like, who in her life died yesterday that I don't know about, you know? And the answer was, no one. She was not going through some intense grieving process right then, just the beauty and the, the depth of a reflection about our eternal home was overwhelming to her in that moment. Um, maybe also a little bit of junior year high school hormones. I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> column A, column B, who can tell? But she was overwhelmed by the beauty of that reflection for a moment. And it took her a moment to compose herself to remember, to, to, to be able to communicate what she believed God had in store for her, what he desired for her, what he had designed her for. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, right? So uh, probably his most famous book, seven books that take place between Earth and this mystical, magical land of Narnia. And in Narnia, there are reflections of the things on this, in this reality, but over there. And in Narnia, the Narnia version of Jesus is this lion named Aslan, right? And Aslan is amazing. He's powerful and strong, and he's full of justice, and he's also merciful and kind and full of love and gentleness. He's amazing. And the very final book of Narnia is called The Last Battle. It's like the Narnia apocalypse, the, the revelation, the end times of Narnia. And there's a point in The Last Battle where the children pass through a door in a stable, pun very much intended, through to the Narnia version of heaven. There's a couple different passages on your sheet here. Uh, there, there's not a clear break, but I'll tell you where the break is in the book. 
And there's a unicorn in the last battle named Jewel. And you tonight, my friends, get the benefit of hearing me, as C.S. Lewis would have intended, whinny like a unicorn at some point during this passage. The first two paragraphs are from the first little section, right? When they enter into Narnia, Jewel the unicorn looks around at his eternal destiny and he says this. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> come further up. Come further in. Isn't that beautiful? Friends, we live in a fallen world, but this world was made by a good God, and we see reflections of God in the world around us, in creation, in each other. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. This, this is our true destiny. It's where we're, we're headed with God's grace. At the very, very end of the book, Lucy, one of the main characters throughout all seven books, looks at Aslan, and she's not looking as happy as one ought to when they're in paradise. So Aslan has this little conversation with her, and he reflects to her something about what happened to her and her, her relatives in their actual earthly home, right? So you got to follow me on this. It kind of like goes between the two worlds for a moment, but I think you'll understand what he's saying. Aslan says to her, you do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy said, we're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, that's what they call our world, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's the end, right? That's the end. That's, that's our destiny. We are not people of fate. We're not forced to follow a certain track, but we are people of destiny. We are destined to end up in our destination, which is God himself. This is it. On my best days, my day-to-day -day activity is affected and influenced and guided by this exact vision. I want to be this kind of a person, so I am patient with my kids. I do work hard at my job. I do look people in the eye when I talk to them and not down at my phone. On my worst days, I forget the vision, and I worry about myself because I don't have the end in mind. And the best news of all, friends, for us who claim to be friends of God, who have been chosen as friends of God, is that you and I don't have to wait to die 
to be a partner with God in a destiny like this. Heaven is not so much a place as it is a person. It's just God himself. And sure, we'll be with God in the fullest way possible after our death here on earth. Thanks be to God for that eternal glory. But, but, you and I are not separate from God in this life unless we choose it, unless we choose to be separate from him. So that means that you and I can enjoy glimpses and shades of this amazing glory today, right now, here. And please God, many of us have had those glimpses already today or yesterday or this weekend. And maybe, hopefully, you get glimpses of this somewhat regularly in your life, where you see pockets of heaven in this earth, moments of eternity that you never want to end because they're so beautiful, they're so good, they're so joyful, that you know that you're seeing a gift from God in this life. Friends, union with God is not something that we have to wait for. Union with God is something that we can ask for and receive right now, starting today. All the stuff that you've gained in your life to get to this moment right here means that today, in this second, you have a choice to make to love God. And before you go to bed tonight, you'll have 30 more moments to choose God. And the moment you wake up in the morning, you'll have another moment to choose God. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. May we all, God willing, be the kind of people who want to be with God so much in this life that we choose to be with God in eternity in the home that he has made many rooms for us in the next life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you so much for being with us. We thank you for being the kind of God who became human so that we could become like God. Lord, lead us home. Lead us to our eternal home with you. Lead us to yourself, to the source of our life. And Lord, I pray that in whatever ways you desire, whatever ways you will, that you might lead us day by day along with you, that we can know unity with you in this life so that we can know perfect union with you in the next. And we ask you to guide us in the ways that we can't handle ourselves through your perfect love. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, as always. Amen. Thanks, friends.